spirituality and prophecy. So, I want to talk to you today about that, um, how it is uh, in these times where we need to be um, thinking about the New Testament of Feast of Trumpets coming up on Monday, the Day of Atonement, the week after that, as you know, and the Tabernacle this, this time of year, the four holy days, are really times to be thinking about coming to you, God, uh, and what lies ahead, and to think of our position in that. And prophetic statements sometimes can apply to more than one fulfillment, and this principle is called duality. It is also sometimes referred to as the dual fulfillment of prophecy, or simply dual, dual prophecy. So the best example of this, for example, is um, to be the duality of Jesus Christ's first coming to atone for our sins, and his second coming to rule as King of Kings and serve the kingdom of God. And today I just want to take a look at a, a few examples of dual prophecy, because we've got to know uh, when, if it's true, and if it happens, such as recorded as such as recorded in the Bible, but also understand that not every uh, prophecy has a duality meaning, because when the end time events start to take place, and we read uh, in the Book of Revelation, uh, earth-shattering and mind-blowing prophecies get fulfilled before us. So, I want to begin by starting in the book of Matthew, chapter 17, and verses 10 through 13. And this is Jesus himself talking to the disciples. And uh, this is a statement. is just, a, yeah, sorry, a statement just after the transfiguration on the mount where uh, both Moses um, and Elijah are seen with Christ and the disciples. So let's pick it up here, Matthew 17, and Matthew chapter 17, verses 10 through 13. So, and his disciples asked him, saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Verse 11. Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will withdraw all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Hold your place right there, and I'm going to switch back just a few pages to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Um, I'm going to Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, because... The prophet Malachi, one of the last few verses of the Old Testament Bible, 
as they said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of, of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So the disciples understood, and Jesus confirmed, that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. But it was only a part of it. Okay? Because you have to look at verse 11, you switch back to Matthew. Verse 11, Jesus announces and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. And that's the key point here, restore all things. Well, the restoration of the things has not yet happened, obviously. So, a forerunner is by second coming to be witnesses. For three and a half years during the Great Tribulation, in the Revelation, they will be in Jerusalem telling the world of his return. So let's go straight to that. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And let's look at the situation of the two witnesses. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and see how this ties into to Jesus' statement in Matthew 17. Revelation chapter 11. And uh, let's begin in verses 1 through 6. Verse 1, John, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn into blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they have desired. So it's widely believed that the temple in those days will be rebuilt before Jesus returns, and verses 1 and 2 show that John has been told to measure the temple and the altar, but not the court the Gentiles are taking it over and this is showing how Jerusalem will be occupied for those 14 months as soon as Christ returns. Because as it shows a little later in Revelation, the beast and the false prophet have taken over the Middle East and that area. And so the two witnesses are clothed in sackcloth, which means they mourn for the world and they're waiting for John because for three and a half years they are doing the same thing John the Baptist did before Christ, telling the world to repent. As John the Baptist said many times, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and similar statements. So the two witnesses were doing the same thing. But this is very interesting because there's more duality here in this situation, two witnesses. Let's read verse 4 again here in Revelation 11, and I'll show you what I mean. Verse 4. Revelation 11. 
two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Okay? What does this mean? What on earth does that mean? This is a reference to a vision and prophecy that Zechariah had. If I'm going to turn to Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, I'll show you what I mean. Zechariah chapter 4. Let's read that first. So, <clears throat> now the angel who talked me, with me came back and awakened me as a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And, and on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked to me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked to me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, who shall become a plain, and who shall bring forth the capstone, who shouts of grace to it? And Zerubbabel was the Zerubbabel, the name pronounced exactly, was the governor of Judea at the time uh, that this was written, um, and he returned with the Jewish exiles from Babylon, uh, and with the influence of Zechariah and Haggai, we're going to rebuild. Verse 4 of Revelation chapter 11 shows us that the two olive trees mentioned here in Zechariah are the two witnesses. And they are anointed by God at that time, right before they start their mission. He chooses them at this time. That's why these claims that I've grown up with in the churches of God are people claiming to be one of the two witnesses. I remember a guy, some example, he was a, a, a pastor of uh, two or three churches in Southern England back in the 90s. Really good speaker, great guy, family man, two kids. But in the early 90s, for a couple of years, he lost the plot there. I don't know what happened, there's some mental situation. Um, and that was just one of the things he started talking about, how he was one of the two witnesses. Even a few months later, he shows up to preach tabernacle. Shows up in a balcony at one corner of the building, the massive big pumpkin night, shouting and roaring about something. And one of my Irish friends, Kieran, uh, was one of the two or three guys that tackled him and brought him down. So, and then a couple of years later, I meet him at the feast. He's perfectly normal and fine back the way he was, but then there was a couple of years there where something happened. And, and, and that was one of his claims to be one of the two witnesses. So, so the two witnesses. I mean, yeah, sure. They may be alive now and, and going about doing something. You don't know. This is one of the things that 
some of the, some of the prophecies that God mentions in John and Revelation, Daniel, and so on, are not specific as to who or what, and some are very specific. Twelve hundred and sixty days, forty-two months. But as to who the two witnesses are, we're not told. But right before they begin their ministry, as it were, three and a half years, they will be anointed by God and told. They will go to Jerusalem, if they're not there already. Jerusalem has been claimed by the beast and the false prophet. It's been overtaken and it's been run by them. And they will be there in Jerusalem, clothed in sackcloth, mourning for the world, and telling the world to repent Jesus Christ and bow to his way. The world will not want to hear as it says. Finally, what they'll be able to do. Like Elijah, they'll be able to um, breathe fire and kill people. People get too close and try to threaten them. Um, unlike Moses, turn water into blood, they'll be able to do the same thing. They'll be able to shut up heaven for so one rain for three and a half years in Jerusalem if they, if they so wish, and so on and so forth. Given great, tremendous power by God because this is part of His plan towards the end time. This is a phase. This is part of what's going to happen. Two witnesses will be there. It's the book of Revelation. It's going to happen. So, and I want to go back to Revelation chapter 11 just to conclude with the two witnesses and this dual, this dual prophecy and show you what I mean. Let's continue chapter 11 back to where we left off now in verse, verse 7 through so, so when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. They will be executed by the beast. The, the civil ruler, the fourth prophet, right there too. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days. Pause right there. This couldn't have happened in 1900, 1950. The whole world will see them. That's the cable TV. The whole world will be able to see their dead bodies in Jerusalem. Um, it can happen in seconds. 1920, you could get it. whole world will be able to see these two men as they're killed and will be left to lie in the streets of Jerusalem. Three and a half days. And not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Isn't that right? So glad that dead they send gifts to one another and love it. Here is where God steps in and things start to happen and the world takes notice and starts to get scared. Verse 11. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. Now how scary would that be for the world to see that? Two dead men have been dead for three and a half days. Suddenly stand up. And great fear fell on those who saw them, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, and this is another thing, will God make that visible or, or 
able for the whole world to hear, or will it be just the people there that finally don't, don't know? It's very specific. Um, a, lo- a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And this is between the sixth and the seventh trumpets in the book of Revelation. Uh, so the two witnesses ascend to God right before the great resurrection of the living God. This is right at the end of the three and a half years of the great tribulation. But again, this all matches the Christ statement in Matthew 17. Very powerful Elijah John the Baptist like prophets who are the forerunners of Christ's second coming. So that's that's one example I want to look at. Um, another example of dual prophecy is in reference to the day of the Lord uh, mentioned in Isaiah 13. So let's go back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 13. Let's just look at uh, verse 6 first. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6. There it is. Okay. Wait, the day the Lord is at hand, it will come as destruction from the Almighty. So this is the day of the Lord at this time that Isaiah is writing this. About 586 BC, uh, when Babylon invaded Judah and captured Jerusalem. However, Isaiah goes on in verses 9 through 13 and talks about another day of the Lord. There's another duality here. So let's skip a couple of verses down to verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. This obviously didn't happen in 586 Verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens, in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. So, this is a clear reference to the end of It's not happening in 586 And it ties in, in duality, to Revelation chapter 6 and verses 12 through 17. So I'm going to skip back over there and we'll tie this in. Revelation chapter 6. Verses 12 through 17. This is the sixth wheel. Uh, my Bible has a heading called the seventh wheel. So let's see how Revelation chapter 6 ties in to Isaiah chapter 13. Uh, verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and then the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. 
stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree dropped its late fruit when it was shaken by mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? For the whole world, the big, the big shock of the world, will be afraid. And will not want to see it. So, Clear reference there, an example again of duality, Isaiah chapter 13, Revelation chapter 6. The day of the Lord is obviously speaking in Isaiah 13, verses 19, 13. So, and, and what we have read here today is just a few examples of duality in prophecy. And there are many more, you can look them up. Between uh, Daniel, uh, Zechariah, and Revelation, obviously. And so, like I said at the start, we have to be uh, ready and watching and reading the signs of the times. We have to check the scriptures and check the world events happen. We've got to examine the context of these prophecies if it seems complete after its fulfillment. Look into it. But we must also be careful not to say that prophecies have a true fulfillment. Of course, some of us may not live to see the end time, some of us will, but we don't know if it's going to be 10 years or it's going to be 30 years. We have to look at each prophecy and look at the We have been endowed with the Holy Spirit, and God shows us these passages and scriptures to give us a roadmap to Jesus Christ's return. And we'll talk more about that on Monday. And yes, it's going to be horrific, it's going to be terrifying. Anyone who reads the book of Revelation, it does seem terrifying and horrific what's going to happen in the end time. Some, some of us may not want to live through that, and go through that, especially those last two and a half years. But it really will, God really will show the world how he And of course, with these false prophets to be out there, one of the things that the false prophets are doing for trying to do have a worship his image, bow down to it, like Christians, like true believers in Jesus Christ, we not do that. Some of us believe a lot of things. Just like in, in the days of, of Daniel, when Misha, Shadrach, and Abednego were supposed to be thrown they wouldn't. They were captured, thrown into the fiery furnace, and survived. Did that happen again? We don't know. Some of us. But these things are going to happen, and they are horrific. We don't want to think about it, but it's part of God's plan. Jesus Christ will return, but these are principles. These are issues that have to happen, have to take place before his return. And if we look at it, we study it, read about it, it's a good reminder to ourselves and to those of us who have not looked at this stuff and don't know about this stuff. It's, it's a good introduction for us to look at it. So, um, So, we have God on our side, that's the important thing, and we're doing all things are possible. 
but for the sake of all humankind, we should continually pray a dire ritual by kingdom come. Our hope and the promise of spending a 